0: Side Hustle Show 337. This is multi six-figure consulting on the side. How one side hustler is making it happen and how you can get started too. What's up, what's up, Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because it's all about ideas, action, and results. My guest today decided to take action on a particular skill of his and is seeing some impressive results all on the side from his day job as a research psychologist. So what do I mean by impressive? How about $650,000 in revenue last year, which was more than double 2017, which was more than double 2016? Yes, he's on a serious growth curve. I'm excited to introduce Dr. Shirog Shimassian from Shimasianconsulting.com, who's obviously got something figured out when it comes to running a service business or consulting business. His niche is med school admissions. And the surprising thing is he never actually went to medical school. Stick around in this episode to hear how he arrived at this niche, when he finally began charging for the service, and how he's grown and marketed the business since then. Listen in for how you can apply these strategies to your own side hustle, especially the subtle ways Shirog adds value for his customers and almost resells them on high ticket offers. Notes and links for this one plus the full text summary, are at sidehustlenation.com slash shirog, which is S-H-I-R-A-G. I'll be back with my top takeaways from this chat with Shirog after the interview.
1: Ready? Let's do it. So I'm a total admissions nerd. I went to a high school that didn't have strong college counseling support, but I always knew I wanted to go to a good college, so I was self-taught and I was able to attend Cornell University. And when I was having success with admissions and getting scholarships, a lot of people started asking me for help. And so I was just helping people, I don't know, to be friendly and help them have the same kinds of success. And and they were having that kind of success. Sure. These are your your peers, like fellow high school juniors and seniors? Exactly. Like people I knew back in high school or my parents' friends' kids, (laughs) you name it. It was just sort of, it sort of randomly started happening like that. And and I was pre-med all throughout college. So I was really into medical school admissions and I still am. And so I was studying everything I could. I was helping other people get into medical school even before I ever applied to graduate school, right? And over time word of mouth grew and you know people started telling others about hey there's this guy who helped me you should contact him and so on and when i eventually went to graduate school i realized okay there's enough demand here where i should probably turn this into a business and graduate school was winding down for me and i thought okay this is the right time to to start this business in a in a field that I'm really, really interested in. Okay, that's interesting. Calling yourself a total admissions nerd and then helping people get into
0: med school before you'd even done it yourself. You're, you're still pre-med at that point.
1: Yeah, so I was pre-med at that point and was helping people with their essays and interview prep and, and that sort of thing. I actually ended up not going to medical school. So I had a 3.9 GPA at Cornell. I was gearing up to go. But I grew up with Tourette's syndrome and I was doing a lot of mental health research. And so there was something inside me that you know, made me pivot and get my PhD in clinical psychology. But throughout this time, I fell in love with medical school admissions. I still am. I read books about it. I write blog articles about it. I sort of live in this world despite not having gone myself. And so I've been helping students be successful with that process for over 15 years now.
0: Okay, wow. And so it sounds like doing this as a favor as something that was interesting to you, something to be helpful, but not necessarily charging for it right out of the gate?
1: Oh, no, I charge zero dollars for like a decade, right? So I, I, I truly enjoy this stuff. Like Sometimes people say like, what can you tell me about admissions? I'm like, how much time do you have? This is something I, I really enjoy talking about, really enjoy thinking about. And the way I see it too, Nick, is getting into medical school or a top college is incredibly difficult, but it's very meaningful for so many people. And if I can play a small part in helping someone achieve their academic and career goals, it's it's super fulfilling for me.
0: Well, it's seen, too, as such a high-stakes thing. Like, okay, I'm going to get one shot to get my essay, to get my application in front of this review panel, potentially. And, and if they, if they say no, it's like, well, back to the drawing board or back to my backup plan. There's a lot of investment that goes into it or a lot of buildup that goes into that.
1: Yeah, precisely. They've been working toward it for years. It's going to influence what they do for their career, their, their satisfaction with their work and their education. And so it's also a lot of responsibility on our part, right? If it's high stakes for them, there's a lot of responsibility for us. And we don't take students' trust lightly because we're committed to helping them.
0: When you decided to start charging, were there other services out there to help students or was this like I'd been doing this for free but like no one else was really doing it as a business
1: there certainly were and still are competitors and other companies who help students with college and medical school admissions less so on the medical school admission side than college but at the same time there are also fewer medical school applicants than college applicants right so so I guess the overall market is smaller and so are the number of competitors And since we're talking about side hustles and starting businesses and growing businesses, one thing I often hear about people who ask me, like, how'd you do it? Or what field should I get into? A lot of times people see competition and that's a deterrent for them because it's like, oh, it's crowded or there are other people doing it. Actually, I see that as an opportunity. If X number of people are doing certain type of work, that might also mean that there's money in it or that they're doing well, right? So I think people should get excited when it is a, blossoming area of work. Yeah, there's
0: there's a proven demand until people are just charging bargain basement pricing, like okay, maybe there's enough margin, there's enough demand to support another entry into this market, especially cuz you bring in your own unique values, expertise and experience to the table.
1: Absolutely. There's a way of like communicating your knowledge about this process and also helping develop comfort, right? Like it's not just about helping people get in. I mean, that's incredibly important, but it's also about helping people feel comfortable in your support, right? They're shopping around, they're talking to different people and you have to consider, okay, what's my value here? Is it just my knowledge? Is it the way that I can develop relationships with my students? Because there are certainly ways to develop a niche even within a seemingly nicheless business. Have you found it
0: a challenge to make a promise, make a guarantee, when you can't necessarily guarantee the outcome, hey, we can help you put your best foot forward. This is what we've seen proven to work from our past customers, our past students. But at the end of the day, you know somebody else is the final decision maker.
1: Right. Saying that you will help someone get in and we promise that and we offer that sort of guarantee, I think to some degree is irresponsible because it's not completely in your control right? This isn't like someone ordering an omelet and you guaranteeing they'll get the omelet because you have the eggs and the ingredients and you have control over that outcome. A, there's an art and a science to admissions, but then B, you can influence it heavily as a consultant and you know a student can submit their best work, but at the same time, there's an admissions committee on the other end of things. And with medical school admissions, Nick, only 41% of students who apply annually matriculate somewhere, meaning Nearly 60% of people don't get in anywhere, right? So it would be irresponsible for me to guarantee that kind of thing. We do offer a satisfaction guarantee. If people sign up with us and they feel like they're not being supported the right way, they can request their money back within two weeks. We also offer an acceptance guarantee for students who sign up for our highest price plan. And if they have a certain level of academic achievement, so if they have a certain GPA and a certain standardized test score for medical school, that's the MCAT, then, and if they don't get in, then we'll help them with the following cycle. And that's the level of guarantee we add. It's not like a money back if they don't get in because again, it's not completely in our control. But again, because we're committed to helping them get in, if they had the right stats and for some reason that didn't work out, which is incredibly rare with our support, then we're happy to help them the following cycle so they can have that success too.
0: Okay, and there's some pre-vetting of the customer at that point. It's like, I can't roll up to you with a with a 2.5 and having <laughs> flunked my hamcats and be like, Hey, can you get me into Stanford? Like, um, sorry, sorry, we can't take
1: your money. Exactly. That's precisely the situation we would we would want to avoid, right? Like, I have a three two and a five hundred five MCAT score. I'm only going to apply to the top five schools if I don't get in. You better help me next time. That wouldn't be fair to us either, right? So I make it as clear as possible, and I, I'm super candid with our students about their admissions odds, the type of schools I think they can get into. And, you know, how much we think we can boost their odds at those schools and so on. And ultimately, it's up to them. We don't turn students away based on their stats, because I believe we can really help improve anyone's admissions odds, but ultimately where they decide to apply to and and so on, that's on them. Okay. That's
0: helpful to hear because there are a lot of service-based businesses where you can't really guarantee the outcome. It's like, I'll do SEO consulting and I can get you to the first page of Google. Well, it's like, you might be able to, you know, you can go through the mechanics, but you know, ultimately, some other algorithm is in charge. And it's like you can, you put in all this work, and it might not work. So it's, it's interesting to hear how you kind of have structured the the satisfaction guarantee at the different engagement tiers. But so tell me about this. So you're you're doing this for free for for 10 years, not an amazing hourly rate at that point, but people are continuing to reach out to you for help. So you decide to stick a price tag on it. Tell me about the first paying customers and how much you decide to charge and what that feels like.
1: Boy, (laughs) I'm trying to think about, yeah, the first paying customers, we charge so much less than what we do now. And, And pricing is, I've never heard of anyone give a clear formula for pricing. I don't think one exists. And so you have to tinker with pricing until you come to what some people call your happy price or what's worth the margins for you and so on. I think in the beginning, there was a student item. He wasn't the first student, but he was one of the first or an early student. And it was tons of work. It was like 20 secondary applications. Secondary applications are the school-specific ones medical school send out after you send what's called your primary application or your core application. So tons of essays. I'm talking like 60 to 80 different essays that I edited unlimited times. I think I charged like $1,200 or something like that. And it was hours upon hours upon hours of work. So my hourly pay for that was, was very low. But I remember just the feeling of having that student sign up and, and pay. I think it was the, the reason I remember it was it was the first time it was like a, a four-figure student. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this could really work, right? So it was tremendous proof of concept for me and gave me a lot of confidence. But over time, I started thinking more and more, what am I actually offering to people? initially I was thinking, oh, it's essay editing and there are other people who can edit and so on. And it's like, I'm actually not selling essay editing. I'm selling a maximization of their admissions odds. I'm going to help them get that through my knowledge, editing a certain way, because these aren't just any old essays, right? There's a specific way to write these so that they're very compelling to these admissions committees. And so once I started reflecting on the value and the years of work that students put into developing the right extracurricular profile and how high stakes this process is i was like okay we're providing incredible value because if they get in they can pursue their dream career if they don't then they won't and that that's a really meaningful service that we're offering did you know that roughly half of side hustle nation hasn't started their side hustle yet if that's you
0: It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites for my next hire. Ultimate career as a doctor going to be worth to you? It's like well, way more than whatever you're charging uh, at the onset,
1: right? And the loans they're going to take out, and then the flip side, right? If you don't get in, what are you going to do? And then how much does the investment with us compare to you not getting in, right? And so when you start framing things that way, not only in a student's mind, because it's not like I, I try to convince them with what I just told you, Nick, but for me as an entrepreneur and you know as a business person, thinking about how can I charge people. And feel okay with it, right? A price that I'm happy with, but also one that I truly believe is consistent, at least consistent with the value we're offering. If not, the value exceeds the the investment.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at the pricing on shimasianconsulting.com right now, and it's like starts at four thousand dollars and goes up from there. And there's like three tiers where it's like uh, we're not even going to publish the price. You're going to have to set up a consultation just to see it it can be a serious investment. And I know that has evolved over time, but I think it's a good example of going after a market where this is worth a lot to them. Like for the right customers, it's a a niche service, but this is worth a significant amount of money. And obviously, there's a lot of work that goes into serving that and a lot of expertise that goes into serving that audience. But it's interesting to see what that pricing table looks like and, and probably will continue to evolve
1: yeah absolutely yeah and that same eleven ninety nine service I sold several years ago that's the secondaries plan that you're probably looking at now, which is forty nine ninety nine
0: yeah that's pretty exciting outside of the word of mouth and people saying, "Hey, you got to talk to this guy if you need help with your application. What else did you do to kind of move that needle from that zero dollars in the first year to twelve thousand the following year to that big jump to 74,000 in in 2016. Like I'm curious what kind of changed for that hockey stick growth.
1: You know, I can I can pretend this was all deliberate and planned out, Nick, but I would be dishonest if I gave you that story. It's easy to do that in hindsight, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I have zero business background to be clear. I was a human development major, which is developmental psych at Cornell. I did my PhD in clinical psychology, and so I had I'd read some books, but I'd never taken a business course or anything like that. And so I remember I launched a website. I had no idea what was going on. It looked like a third grader had made it, frankly, like when it first started. So really, it happened by accident as follows. I was actually working with a few medical students, and I wanted to send them resources. I wanted to say like, hey, read this. This is a really great guide on this topic or that topic. I looked for these kinds of articles, and I didn't find any. So I figured, oh, I should write this because it's going to be helpful to my students. So I spent tons of hours writing these large guides on everything related to the medical school application process. And I published them. And over time, unbeknownst to me, they started rising up in Google. Some of them started ranking in the first page, several of them still do. We have many more others that do and so on. But then I was like, why are all these people coming to the site? And then I figured out a way to to look at this. And I was like, oh my gosh, all these people are coming through organic search. So this would be like a big long form article on medical school admissions essay or something like that. Exactly. Medical school personal statement. Exactly. And I think the first iteration of that, like I just started writing. I was like, okay, what would I want to know if I was going to write? And I probably wrote like, I don't know, a two or 3,000 word article and stuff like that. And and published it, and unbeknownst to me, like I said, over time, it just kind of became a thing. And if you actually go to like some of our old URLs for these things that rank very high, they're horrible URLs. (laughs) It was like, trust me, I'm trying to become a doctor, part one, how to conquer your personal... Like these very obscure URLs that you can still see. Not super SEO optimized, do you mean? No, no, (laughs) no. And that just really reflects my amateurism. And we've since gotten much more sophisticated and deliberate in the way that I write articles or people who contribute to our site write articles. And I hired a marketing assistant last fall who, who puts articles through an SEO checklist and things like that. So that was a long answer just to say our growth came largely from word of mouth, speaking. So I would speak to various pre-med committees at colleges and things like that, as well as accidental SEO growth. And over time, I was like, okay, like these are really the three levers that we can pull to, to grow and attract new students. And that's really still what we focus on. We essentially do no social media. I think I've spent all of like $40 on paid ads ever. And I just found that like students are looking for really high quality resources. And if they find that on our site, I think the thinking is, oh my gosh, if the free stuff is this good what does the paid support look like? And if you can drop that seed, then it's valuable.
0: Okay, so you're writing this long form content, getting some accidental traffic from Google, almost as a prerequisite to working with you. It's like, I'm gonna have to spend my time like telling you this stuff, teaching you this stuff anyway. So here's a way to do it like one to many. I can write it once and send it to a bunch of different students. Is there any call to action on that post, like join the email list, sign up for a free consulting call? Like what's the call to action after somebody lands on the site from Google?
1: There are several things. First is on the bottom left corner of every page, there is a little green triangle that says schedule a complimentary consultation. And so folks can use that to go to my calendar and schedule a consultation call with me. And then I get to learn about them and answer all their questions about the admissions process. And if they're still interested in working with us, they'll ask questions about our various plans and support options and so on. What's the calendar tool that you're using for that? It's Calendly, C-A-L-E-N-D-L-Y. I I love them and I don't get paid to say that. I just think it's a great tool. Nice.
0: (laughs) Is it still you taking these complimentary consultations?
1: It is, it is, yeah. And so that's actually something I'm currently thinking a lot about I'm going to be a sales bottleneck because of that. And you know, folks can of course email me, my phone number is at the on the page and so people can really contact me however they want. But yeah, I'm trying to figure out a way to essentially write down the answers to most of the questions we receive and then perhaps someone can help me with that cuz I would say the same 10 questions comprise 90% of what I'm asked, right? So We can certainly templatize my responses and other folks can can guide students with those. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm I'm kind of surprised to
0: hear that even at the revenue volume that you're doing, it's still you taking those calls, which it's your URL, your name and face on the site. So I think that's a cool selling point for people coming to the site. Oh, I I could talk to the guy. Like, that's awesome. And for the price points that you're selling at, imagine having a conversation on the phone is almost a
1: prerequisite versus oh I'm just gonna hit the buy now button on the site I don't know if you yeah, have experienced that or- that's that's spot on right because they are purchasing a high ticket item for a very high stakes process you know naturally there are going to be parents and students who are like okay I came to this website now I'm talking to this guy and I'm gonna pay him how many dollars like <laughs> I, I want to know what this is is this a, I have parents sometimes asking me like how do I know this is not a scam And I think it's really valuable for people to say like, oh, like Shemasyan is his name. I'm talking to the guy, like he's listening to me and answering my questions and learning about me and my child. And okay, I feel a little bit more comfortable. But it's also an assumption, Nick, if I'm being honest, that I have to do those calls. I think it's nice that I do those calls, but there may come a time where I just need to hire support because I simply can't field all the consultation requests. And and that may actually be happening now, right? Where people get to the calendar, it's full. Even though I clearly say, oh, you can contact me at this email address or call my number. Sometimes people won't, right? Just because it's an extra step. And those are things that I have to explore moving forward. But absolutely, it is a nice surprise. Like Even though it says, like, oh, schedule a complimentary consultation with Dr. Shamasian, they still get on the phone with me and say, oh, wow, it's you. <laughs> You're like, yeah, of course it's me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, to me, you know, I'm just this guy who takes these calls. But to them, they're like, oh my gosh, I've read this article and I think it's great. And I know I was going to talk to you intellectually, but that you actually called me and this is weird. This is cool. And so so that's a really nice experience, I think, for family staff.
0: So on the calls, you're answering their questions, you're finding a little bit more about them. And then are you using your PhD in psychology sales tricks to you know s- sign somebody up for a a paid package
1: at that point? I don't know that there are any tricks. And I think like trick has a has a negative connotation. And no, really, I mean, I can offer some strategies that work really well for us. And I don't know if there's, they're not voodoo, right? They're, I think they're just <laughs> sound interpersonal skills. So, sure, you, you know, I don't mean anything by that. Oh, no, no. And and I'm not trying to suggest that you are. But for folks wondering if I'm using black psychology magic to to persuade people to buy, I am not. (laughs) Like, for instance, there are going to be a class of people who get on the calls and their first question or second question is going to be, okay, what's the price for X? And those people are primarily focused on getting the best deal or the lowest price and stuff like that. I never pretend to be the lowest price person. In fact, if someone wants a lower price service, I can send them to other people. I don't know that other folks are going to help them as well. But if price is the only determinant for them, there are cheaper people than us. I'm not trying to be the cheapest. I want, I want us to be the best, right? And so what I tell people is, like, I'm more than happy to talk to you about our various service plans, but if it's okay with you, I'd like to get to know you a bit first. And so we delay that conversation. So then I'll ask them questions about them, or if it's a parent, I'll ask about their child, where they're from, what school they go to, what their grades are like, and so on. And then I just turn over the conversation to them. And I say, look, I have no intention for this call other than answering all of your questions about the admissions process, so how can I help you? And inevitably, students and parents have tons of questions, right? Like we said, it's a high-stakes process. It's nerve-wracking. They want to do it right. And so I just answer questions. Like seriously, if they have two questions, I'll answer two. If they have eight questions, I'll answer eight. It doesn't matter. And I actually never bring up pricing or services or anything like that. But if I do a good job answering their questions and building rapport, naturally, I would say 80 plus percent of them say, I was also looking at your plans. I'm curious about X, Y, Z. Or can you tell me how can you help my kid get in? and then we can have that conversation. Okay, is it often the the parent and the student on the call at the same time? Sometimes, I would say most of the time it's either a parent or a student, but sometimes a parent and a student join the call together. Sometimes when that happens, sometimes you know I'm talking to the student and the parent will come in, okay, this is where I'm interested because I'm going to be the one paying for this, right? They'll literally say that, and that's when the parent will sort of take over the conversation. But if you think about it, if you answer the price question at the beginning, they're sort of going to tune out everything else that you say versus if I get to know you and build trust, then you're like, oh, wow, this was really helpful. And you're giving them a preview of the experience they're going to have working with you longer term. And then at that point, even if you give a higher price, they're going to be more amenable to that.
0: Okay. So is that kind of the soft close is like waiting for
1: them to say, hey, well, I was looking at the packages. Which one do you think would be best for me? Yeah, exactly. And so if they bring it up too, then you're not, it doesn't feel pushy in any way, right? If you ask for the price and I give it to you, you can't accuse me of being salesy because I'm just giving you the information you requested. But if I say, okay, now let me tell you about my prices and my services. Now it's like, whoa, like, what are you trying to push on me? And the thing is like, I wouldn't do what I do or sell people these services if I didn't think we can really help them. And so I actually view it as like, we're offering a really great service and our students are having tremendous success with their admissions processes. I'm always excited to talk about how we can help the student themselves or if it's a parent, their child. And I think that comes through during our conversations. And they've kind of
0: pre-qualified themselves because they've likely read the content on the site. They've likely seen the price sheet. And so
1: they kind of know what they're getting into before they call you. Right. Yeah. And if someone hasn't, they haven't done their research and stuff like that, like that's okay too. But that also becomes clear like, whoa, okay, 4,000, I wasn't expecting that. And that's okay. But if you saw the services page, if you're seeing thirty nine ninety nine on the low, end, and then I give you the combination plan price, for instance, you're not going to be shocked that it's in the multiple thousands, right? Sure, sure.
0: Do you have an estimate or happen to know your, your batting average or close rate on those calls?
1: As I've done more, as I've had more calls, it's probably gone down. I've never actually looked at these numbers. I would, say, I would say it's around 50% because there are going to be some people who never were going to buy from you, either due to financial reasons or they just didn't want to pay for this kind of service. And then there are going to be some folks who are, they're sort of on the fence, but they're not super sold. And then some people might go to your competitors. And so, on. so there are a lot of reasons. And I think I can be better in some ways. But at the same time, I think I've done a pretty good job on the sales side. It's it's something that really excites me because I get to learn about people and answer their questions and be helpful to them. And of course, if they buy it's it's great for us. But I think everyone, buyers and non-buyers, leaves our calls with great value.
0: Yeah, 50% is outstanding for for what you're selling. And and even the people that you don't close, hopefully you've helped them and spread some goodwill and, and that word of mouth comes comes back to you.
1: That actually happens all the time. Someone says, oh, so-and-so, you didn't work with them, but they actually told me that I should work with you. You know, that happens totally.
0: If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. What kind of time are you putting into these calls every week? Is it like, okay, every Wednesday is like bell to bell, I'm doing these calls?
1: Yeah, so it's usually like a few hours a day. So we can call it eight to 10 hours, depending on the week. And it's obviously a very meaningful part of the business. And so I spend time doing that and making sure to follow up with every person I spoke with via email immediately after our call, or at least by the end of the day. And if I don't hear from them, I'll follow up via email. And I've been able to Sort of have a consistent subject line so it's easy for me to track who I spoke with and what week and how to follow up with them and so on. So it's actually gotten, it's taken much less time over time as I've systematized it. Is that the bulk of your
0: effort, like those eight to 10 hours a week in terms of marketing the business, selling the service, or to be operating
1: at that level? Curious where else you're spending your time? I still work with our marketing assistant to make sure that she has everything she needs and is does she have the direction she needs and is she able to implement the SEO checklist to our new articles and things like that. So there's a little bit of that work that I do. I still write some articles. I don't write all of our articles these days, but some, I would say I write maybe a quarter of our articles. I help with student support. So we have a team of consultants with whom I support students. So when students sign up, they'll work with me and one other consultant. But that other consultant is, of course, the lead because I can't take on primary responsibility for every student. So making sure that they're successful. We get student questions sometimes that another consultant doesn't know the answer to or or that you know maybe I can clarify. I try to create resources to make our team's lives easier. So We have a lot of documentation internally on how to support students if they ask this kind of question, if this issue comes up, and so on. So a big part of my role, I think, is quality assurance in that way and also making sure that everyone on our team is successful. But really hiring my first employee in the fall of 2018 was this incredibly helpful thing in terms of opening up my time and giving me support to do some of the other stuff. Have a wife and a and a ten month old son whom I love spending time with, and if I don't get some of these responsibilities under control, it can eat into the time that I want to spend with them.
0: So, way you were operating at multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars a year before making your first hire, like just fall of twenty eighteen was the first employee. Yes, that's nuts. Tell me about. Okay, now we got to dive into this. Tell me about that first hire. Like, when did you feel necessary or compelled to make that move? Like, okay, this is going to be. Bigger than just
1: me. Yeah, I was really tired, <laughs> honestly. Like at this point, my son was like four months old, and I was trying to be Superman, right? Like doing my job and working on my business and spending time with my wife and my son and sleeping less to accommodate workouts and things like. And I was like, okay, I am so burnt out, and I just knew like. You know, I had to come around to really buying into this idea of you know, there are other people who can do most of the things that I do, if not all the things that I do, just as well as I do them. And if I'm doing certain things over and over again in the same way, that means they're systematizable and I can outsource them. And I was really fortunate because actually one of the former... Employees at the company that still employs me, she and I had a wonderful relationship. And she left because she wanted to pursue some other opportunities. But we kept in touch. And I reached out to her and I said, Hey, what are you doing? And I brought her on. I mean, there wasn't really an interview or anything. I've known her for several years now and she's wonderful. And so I spent a lot of time developing resources to help her be successful, right? This is how SEO works. So she doesn't really have an SEO background. I'm like okay this is how it works this is how we want to approach this these are all the things that I'd like for you to do we'll have weekly calls and so on it's just opened up tens of hours for me and so you know even though we're the only I guess two employees of the business we have a lot of other contracting support people who send payments bookkeepers of course and accountants and and things like that so it's just been me i think developing comfort with paying for the extra help. And we've obviously reached a revenue where where we can afford to do that. But at the same time, I, I like to wade into spending rather than diving into spending. Because I think sometimes, too, I think about what's the ROI of, I can spend more, but how much more am I getting? And I just really want to be deliberate about that.
0: So the the student support staff, those are your contractors? Correct. Okay, so they're kind of on... I imagine uh, they can ebb and flow with demand. Like that's not a fixed cost.
1: It's not a fixed cost. Yeah. So folks earn a percentage of the revenue we bring in. In other words, if we don't make any money, we don't pay out any money.
0: Did you get any pushback from students when, okay, I I talked to Dr. Shemassian on the phone consultation and then he pawned me off on his like contractor assistant student helper person?
1: sometimes there's going to be that type of disappointment. So years ago, especially when I was the only one helping students, and you know, let's say they referred someone to me and they're like, wait, what? I'm not going to work only with you? And you know, that's a conversation. But during sales call, people bring that up. They'll say, well, who would I be working with? Would I be working with you? I see you have a team. And I tell them, you would be supported by me alongside another consultant. The other consultant would be the primary editor available to you to answer questions and support you and We work together closely, and I I truly do. Like our consulting team knows that I have a virtual open door policy, right? Where they can text me, email me anytime. I'm just really committed to making sure that our team and our students are successful. But to answer your questions, yeah, sometimes there's some disappointment and that sort of thing. But I think once they get a sense of the ridiculously high quality of support that we're going to provide them, that that goes away very quickly. Okay, I was just curious because it's like it's
0: very much a personally branded thing. You're selling your unique expertise. And then it's like, well, I actually brought somebody else on to help me with that. And it's like, that can be a tough transition to make. It sounds like you've, you've made it very well. And like by featuring the names and faces and credentials of the contractors, like that helps build their credibility and kind of lets people know upfront, like, okay, I might not just be working with, with the guy.
1: Right. And the thing is, I'm so confident in our team, right? Like I, Try to vet them super thoroughly. I, you know, ask them to complete edits. I interview them. I mean, these are really, really great people who have been supporting students for years. And like I said, the moment the student sees the level of support they're getting, it becomes a moot point.
0: What's next for you? Where do you see this thing going? You want this to be a a million dollar thing, a full time business? Like, I mean, I imagine it could be full time right now. But curious, uh, where do you where do you want to take it?
1: I feel like I, I ask myself that like every week for the last many years. I, I really like what I do work wise in my psychology work. And, and so right now there are some cool projects I'm working on on that front. And the business is, I think, in a place where it's working really well at the level we're at with the support that we have now. At the same time, I am making a decision to, to grow more. Because I think we're supporting students very well, and I'd like to, I guess, guide more students if we're able to. There are several ways I think we can grow. We can continue writing articles and ranking higher and higher in Google, not only for med school and college, but law school and business and things like that. I'm also flirting with the idea of bringing someone on to help with sales to field some of these calls and also to build relationships with schools. It would be really valuable if we were able to, let's say, connect with the the pre-law society at Harvard right, and give talks to that group. And that'll be a way to build interest in, in working with us and things like that. So I think a lot of it is about continuing to produce content, making sure that I'm not the bottleneck with sales and other things like that. And then also just building relationships with our existing students, with various organizations, because I think it's it's a huge relationship business. And like we said, because it's so high stakes, we have to build trust however we can.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, there's a lot of different directions that you can go. And interesting to see, okay, we started with this medical school admissions niche, but now, you know, having built up the systems and processes here, we can expand that to different grad programs.
1: Exactly. And admissions at the core is about storytelling, right? And really reflecting on who you are and what's led you to whatever field it is that you want to pursue and communicating that through narrative. And we have a, several people on our team for instance who have gone to law school, like really top law schools, I'm talking Harvard, Penn, you know, those kinds of schools, as well as people who've gone to top medical schools and business schools and things like that. So, we have a lot of the knowledge, it's just a matter of getting around to producing the right content for people cuz I also tell our team, our rule for publishing is, if it's not the best piece of content on that subject, I don't want us to publish it. So that's the bar we're going for with everything. And that takes time. At the same time, it pays off because students do read our stuff and they say, wow, this was incredibly valuable. I want to jump on the phone with you.
0: Yeah, and that's what Google wants at the top of its search engine. So that makes sense. You know, if it's not worthy of being on the first page, why bother publishing it? Exactly. Managing the remote team, I'm curious if there's any tools or software that you're using to kind of keep in contact, delegate the work across people working all over the country
1: and perhaps the world at this point. You're going to think I'm prehistoric, Nick. We, <laughs> we use email and Dropbox. It's all done via email. So the client
0: role is small enough right now. So somebody, you know, order comes in or you sell it over the phone and then you assign that case to whoever contractor consultant person you think is the best fit for that person
1: yeah and we have a survey people can fill out to tell them what they're primarily looking for where they feel strong where they feel weak so that it can help guide who the right fit consultant is going to be and then i'll send them what i call an official kickoff email which is an email thread with the three of us so me the other consultant and the student and then we'll set up that initial call to get to know the student better and begin brainstorming their essays And then a lot of the communication happens via email, because the nature of this work is a lot of essay editing and back and forth. But students can request phone calls anytime. So let's say someone is writing an essay, but they're really stuck. And they're like, hey, I've tried, but feeling really stuck. Can I have a call with you? We can accommodate that. And that's the thing. It goes back and forth for many, many months until a student gets in and we're all celebrating together. So email actually works really well. I'm open to technology. I'm just, again, I question what more I'm going to get, given the work that we do.
0: No, I'm just curious, like how you, how you manage all that stuff, especially the relationships with the schools and having boots on the ground there who can speak to that organization that doesn't involve you with a 10-month-old, you know, saying goodbye and flying across the country to, to give a, a one-day or one-evening talk and then flying back.
1: Yeah, like for instance, that I do over Skype now. Like this week, I'm going to speak with the Northwestern Pre-Med Society. And I'll do it all over Skype. Yeah, from San Diego to Chicago. Oh, that opens up a whole new <laughs> realm of, of possibilities. That's super cool. Yeah, it's been really good. Well, I think that's all
0: I got. Appreciate you taking the time, shirog ShemassianConsulting.com, which I agree is a mouthful to spell. So we'll link that up for you uh, in the show notes for this episode at SideHustleNation.com slash It's S-H-I-R-A-G. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation.
1: Get started. I don't mean that just in terms of starting a business, but whatever it is that you're hesitating to do, just do it, right? You can think about ideas all day long, or you could think about raising your price or, or whatever it is. And there are so many reasons not to do something and to psych yourself out. But I think in a lot of our businesses, mine included, we're sometimes concerned about like screwing it all up or it not working out. But frankly, that's not going to happen, right? Or we can always go back to where we were pre-decision. So get started, challenge yourself to start your business, raise your price, or or whatever it is that you've been hesitating to do for months. What was your biggest screw-up of the last four or five years? Biggest screw-up of the last four or five years? Going too hard after online courses and more quote-unquote scalable stuff. I think that actually took away my attention from our core offering there was a time where for several months maybe even over a year where i was like chasing the shiny object of online courses cuz you can just <laughs> send an email and people buy and you make all this money and stuff like that but i realized like okay we're just making a trickle here Whereas people are really clamoring for our one on one support. And so, why am I chasing this other thing when the market is telling me they want personalized support? Right. And so, I just dropped that all and I just doubled down on our service business and it's actually helped us grow. Okay. So, it was an online course on the same topic like, here's, we'll help you with your admissions. Exactly. Yeah. And it was kind of weird because it's like we have this higher price thing, but I have this lower price thing. And it's like, am I going to cannibalize the higher price thing? And people aren't really buying no matter how valuable I think it is. And I was almost fighting against what the world was telling me. And that was a that was a big wake up call.
0: Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's interesting to hear because it's like on the surface, it makes sense. Like, hey, we have this high-price, kind of done-with-you model. But if you want to do it yourself, here, we can teach you how in this course. But for something this high stakes, this personal, it's like, hey, uh, that one-on-one attention uh, really makes sense. Exactly. Well, very cool, Shirog. Thanks again for joining me. ShimasianConsulting.com. Check him out, and we'll catch up with you soon. All right, my top three takeaways from this call with Shirog. Number one is to become obsessed. Become the nerd, become the expert. Shirog said it at the very top of the interview. I'm a total admissions nerd. What do you nerd out about? Before my wife and her partner started their photography business, they'd literally hold what they called camera geek out sessions to fool around with the different settings and learn more about taking pictures. They were on the path to nerdness. And even if there's nothing in your life that really checks that box today, That doesn't mean you can't achieve that level of nerdiness or obsession over time. It comes with practice, like for Shirag, first, learning it for himself, then helping others for free, that's the practice part, for like a decade, and then diving into the business. From the customer perspective, do you want to hire the guy who, you know, kind of sort of enjoys this stuff? Or do you want to hire the quote, total admissions nerd who lives and breathes this stuff, even if he costs a bit more? The other soundbite I loved along this theme was if something isn't going to be the best resource on this topic online, we're not publishing it. So use your website to showcase your expertise, to attract traffic, to get people on the phone and then let customers lead the sales conversation, you know, answer their questions, but then follow up. Like if someone was a hot enough prospect to carve time out of their schedule to talk to you, it's definitely worthwhile to try and continue the conversation, to continue the relationship. As we've heard from a number of guests, the fortune is in the follow-up, but I really like that part. If it's not going to be the best resource online, we're not publishing it. Why bother? We want to set ourselves apart by being the best. That's takeaway number one, become the nerd, become obsessed. Takeaway number two is value-based pricing. I was unfamiliar with this niche, so I will admit that I had a little bit of sticker shock when I first saw Shirog's pricing menu. But... I think it's a perfect example of value based pricing. Remember to think of the customer transformation, which was advice from Jacques Hopkins in episode 302. How is the customer going to be different after interacting with you and your product and your service? What's that transformation worth to them? For aspiring doctors trying to get into a top school, that transformation could be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars or more over the course of their career. That's what Shirag's selling, not necessarily help crafting and editing an essay. A friend of mine sent me a note the other day about some skepticism a potential customer of his raised about his online course. The course promised to teach about building profitable content-based websites. The creator had done so himself with great success, like multiple five figures in monthly profits, but the course was like 50 bucks. So my immediate thought was there's a disconnect between the price and the promised transformation. There's such thing as pricing too low. So Shirog's value-based pricing was takeaway number two for me. And takeaway number three for me is that there are other people that can do most of what I do. Remember the context of this was when I asked Shirog about growing his team. When was it time to hire? I was really tired, he said. There are other people that can do most of what I do. This is something that I honestly still struggle with, but many of the big leaps I've been able to make and maybe incremental steps is more accurate than big leaps, most of those incremental steps have been related to bringing on extra help. You don't have to do everything yourself, and you seriously shouldn't be doing everything yourself if you want to grow. So that was a good reminder for me to hear in my third big takeaway from this episode. Notes and links for this one, plus the full text summary, are at sidehustlenation.com slash shirog. Again, S-H-I-R-A-G. That's it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen, and I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show, where I'm exploring the number one tips for my last 50 or so guests, something of an annual tradition on the show, to unpack the ones I'm attempting to apply in my own business, and some others, I think, that are worth revisiting for years. I'll see you then. Hustle on.